his testimony of how he served God and stuff. And is this something about a brother pastor, you know, that you, you can talk about things that you can't talk with anybody else and they understand, you know, and stuff. And uh, so I've grown to really love and appreciate him and uh, his ministry in this area. has been here for a long time and, and also his ministry in this church. He helped some during the interim time with the men's ministry and stuff. And many of you know him already and stuff, appreciate him and stuff. So he's going to preach, bring the word of God tonight. And uh, so I have confidence in him for that. And then he's also, after, after the service over, anybody wants to, we're going to go back in the Ellen Ford room. Got any questions or anything? If you're if you're even remotely interested in thinking about going uh, to the Holy Land, this would be a good time. He'll answer your questions and and uh, help you with anything. If you got any ideas, you know. So I, I'd I'd say if you're even thinking about, it, give it a shot. You know, trust God for God provides. You know, and uh, see what what God will do. So anyway, uh, let me pray and then we'll turn over to Brother Billy to bring God's word. Father, thank you so much for for what you're going to do tonight. Thank you for Brother Billy. Thank you, Father, for his heart for the word. Thank you, Father, for his passion for the local church, and uh, thank you, Father, how you've used him in many people's life. In this area, uh, taking many people to the Holy Land, he has a heart for missions, and uh, he has a heart for this church as well as his own church, and I just pray, God, you'll use him tonight as he breaks the bread of life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, thank you, sir. Well, let me tell you, first of all, it's a privilege to be in this pulpit. Uh, not only have I come to love this guy, uh, but I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. When you got him as your pastor, you, you hit the jackpot. Uh, now, I know there's a bunch of them out of town on a mission trip, and I know some of them that went. I don't know them all, but I know some that went, and they heard I was preaching, and they left town. And... Uh, but it's good to be here tonight. Let, let me say this at the outset, just for a moment. There's nothing in this world like going to Israel. Nothing. I've been going now for 45 years, back and forth. I've been, well, this year be twice this year. But what I'm trying to tell you is, you discover things there that you've never read, you've never seen, and you've never heard. And I tell people, you don't read your Bible anymore, you see it. Now, I don't mean you don't read it, but you know what I mean. When you read it, it's, it's, it's in full color. I've been there. I've walked that path. I've climbed those steps. It just changes your whole perspective. It helps you put the word of God in place. Historically, spiritually, and every other way. And there, there are little bitty things that you learn. I'm going to share one with you. I shared one this earlier with our men. But all my life, and you know, Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea by the sea. I've never heard it any other way except that. In, in 50 years of preaching, that's all I've ever known. I'm in Israel. And I mentioned Caesarea by the sea because that's one of my favorite places. And I've got some men here back me up on this. My guide is the number one ranked guide in all of Israel. There's nobody in Israel that can touch him. 
When we go places, you see other guys running to him to ask him questions. And he said, Bill, let me ask you a question. He said, Caesarea, take those last two letters off. I said, okay. He said, what's that say? I said, Caesar? He said, the correct pronunciation of that word is Caesarea, not Caesarea. It's little things like that that you just pick up that you can't find anywhere else except there. Because you identify with their culture. And it's come to a place and point in my life. The moment I land in Israel, I'm home. That's home to me. Turn to your Bibles. Now, hold it. Let me mention this tonight right off the bat. It kind of reminds me of the, the farmer, the cattle farmer who went to church one morning. It was snowing. It was cold outside. It was snowing. The snow was already accumulating in the country church. And he went to church that morning and the preacher was there and he was there. And that was it. Nobody else showed up. And, uh, and the preacher said, well, what, what do you think we ought to do? You know, you think we ought to just go on home? He said, well, preacher, I don't know much about preaching, but he, he said, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a cattleman. And if I go out to feed my herd and only one cow shows up, I'm going to feed that cow. You know, so he said, OK, I'll preach. He preached. And when he got through, he said, well, what do you think? He said, well, preacher, I don't know anything about preaching. I just know that. If only one cow shows up, I don't give them the whole load of food. So I'm going to do my best tonight to cut it short and cover some very important things. I hope you brought your Bible with you tonight, okay, so you can look at the Scripture. Turn your Bibles to the book of Haggai. It's in the Old Testament now. To the book of Haggai. And look with me at chapter 2. Verse 7 and verse 9. 7 through 9. And this is what God says. I will shake all nations... And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, said the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, said the Lord of hosts. Now look at verse 9. But the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, said the Lord of hosts. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer. Father, I, I pray tonight from the depths of my heart. I come to you knowing that I need you to anoint my mind, my heart, my tongue, my mouth. And Father, may your words penetrate our lives. 
may we take God's word and apply it in our heart. And may your word be a lamp under the feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, our desire tonight is when we leave here, that every person of this auditorium will feel closer to the Lord with a new passion for Christ and a longing, a longing for Jesus to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Contrary to what most people think, God's timetable from the standpoint of eternity is not America. God's timetable centers in and around the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. The average Christian in America cannot begin to comprehend the yearning, the passion, the desire to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Ever devout Jew in the world prays three times a day, always facing Jerusalem. And this is how they close every prayer. May the holy temple be built speedily in in our day. This month, three weeks ago, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem stated, We are ready to build the temple. Let's build it now. What if I told you tonight that ever ornament, ever vessel, ever tool, even the high priest's garment, which took seven years to make because of the intense study and preparation, that everything... Everything is ready to rebuild the temple. Every year when we go, and I only started this two or three years ago. When we go, we always try to go now to the Temple Institute. And when we arrive, we get to see everything that's to go in that temple. And when you walk outside and walk to one of the main squares, as large as this rug here and about 10 feet tall is, is a glass enclosure. 10 feet tall and at least as long as this rug. And inside of it is the menorah made of solid gold. It's worth more than a million dollars. But it's right there in the open public. Well, preacher, somebody could steal it. I doubt it. You don't know the Jews like I do. Nobody can touch it. In fact, when we come to history, all three monastic religions of the world agree on one thing. 
And that is that we're on the verge of a cataclysmic apocalyptic event. The Jews are longing. They pray every day for their Messiah to come. The Christians are looking for the rapture to happen at any moment. And Islam is looking for the twelfth Amman. All three major monastic religions in the world revolve around one city, the city of the great king. What I want you to understand tonight, brethren, he's coming. He's coming. All the signs are there. I've quit looking at the signs. I've started listening for the sound of the trumpet. He's coming. But there are some divine imperatives that had to be put into place before he could come. Uh, number one, Israel had to be a nation. And they became a nation in 1948. But I want you to understand something. I did not understand how long and how hard that battle was to become a nation. But a friend of mine the other day who owns a jewelry store in Calhoun County knows I go to Israel. And he said, Bill, I got a book I want you to read. And he handed me the book. And it was written by the father of Netanyahu. Never have I read such a historical account of the struggle of the nation of Israel to become a nation. It took 31 years of hard work. But then finally there came that day known as the Belfort Decoration when they declared that all of England was in support of the Jews becoming a nation. Secondly, there has to be complete preparation for the rebuilding of the temple. And I want you just to take your minds back for just a moment now. Take your minds back to A.D. 70. Now, I know you didn't live back then, okay? <laughs> Although there's one or two in here it might have. But I wouldn't look at them for nothing. But to make a long story short, I want you to take your mind back. And it was... A cold night. And there was a man by the name of Titus. He was a Roman general. And he came to the city of Jerusalem. And he set the whole city on fire. Destroyed it. And then they made their way toward the temple mound. And every night as the sun went down. The temple priests would climb to the top of the temple and they would sing a song. They'd sing a song of Monday. They'd sing a song of Tuesday, of Wednesday, of Thursday, of Friday, of the Sabbath and Sunday. They had a song for every day. And this was on a Saturday. And they climbed to the top and they saw the whole city on fire. People being destroyed and beaten and killed and slaughtered. And they knew their time was coming. And they sang a song as Titus destroyed 
that temple. Take your mind now to 1967 in the Six-Day War. Okay? All of us remember that. It was on television, videos of it. And when it happened, I, I saw it with my own eyes. And I wept like a baby. As the young Jewish soldiers made their way through old Jerusalem. Made their way up toward the Temple Mount. And then they entered the gates unto the Temple Mount. And when they entered those gates on the Temple Mount, young men, old soldiers, threw their guns down, dropped to their knees, fell prostrate up on the ground, and began to weep and cry and pray and praise and dance. Oh my goodness, why? For the first time in 2,000 years, their feet were on the Temple ground. And now Israel controls that Temple Mount militarily. You have to understand that now. They control everybody that goes on it. But it's still Muslim territory. You remember I told you about the priest who sang on Saturday night as a city was being burnt remember I told you they knew they were next and it was a Saturday night and they were singing the song of Wednesday why would they sing the song of Wednesday the song of Wednesday is a song of God's vengeance God's judgment when those Soldiers, for the first time in nearly 2,000 years, entered onto the Temple Mount and fell to their knees. Guess what day it was? Wednesday. On a Wednesday. But something else has to happen. Even if they rebuild the temple, they, 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 can't, they can't have a priesthood. How can they be a priest when all the records were destroyed in A.D. 70? Because all the family birth records of all the Aaronic priesthood were kept in the temple. And they were all destroyed. There's none left. There's no way to have a priesthood. How are they going to do that? Wait! Wait a minute. DNA genetics have discovered that the sons of Aaron have a Y chromosome that no one else in the world has. And it was announced to the whole world in 2007. And four years ago in 2000 years, the priests met once again in Jerusalem. All of it's falling in place. He's coming. He, he's coming. 
And we need to understand that. And that brings us to the fourth and final divine imperative. They're ready to build a temple. Everything's ready. They have a priesthood. They are a nation. Everything's ready. But wait, we got a problem. All of those priests are in a state of impurity. And they can never serve. And they can never minister. Never. Unless a red heifer is born. Now, I'm not talking about any of you ladies now. A red heifer is born. And qualifies to be the sacrifice. You see, that's the only way they can be cleansed. It's when they take the ashes of a red heifer and mix it with spring water and take hyssop and a red string mixed in the middle. And since the days of Moses, thousands of years ago, there's only been nine red heifers that qualified. Well, preacher, they're born all the time out in Texas, but they don't qualify. They got to qualify. And what, what's that mean? You know, and, and let me mention one other thing. If a red heifer is ever born, and now they're making every effort for it to happen in Israel. But if it were ever born, and after three years, if it qualified, I want you to know something. It would change the world. The Jews know that. Bible-believing Christians know that. And the Muslims know that. They are very much aware if that red heifer is born, that temple's going to go up. There's going to be war in Israel and all the Middle East. For Israel is surrounded by 100 million Muslims. And there are only 10 million Jews. But I, oh, I forgot to tell you, they have somebody watching over them that has great power. Great power. Don't you ever think God's forgotten Israel? He hadn't. He's going to restore Israel one day and gather all of them from the four corners of the earth back to the city of Jerusalem. Preacher, what are the qualifications? This is, you know, I wish I'm cutting it short to try to help us get out of here. First of all, it has to be born. And it has to be three years old. And it has to be perfect. When it's born... From the soles of its feet to the top of its head, it has to be perfectly red. Not a blemish. Not a white hair anywhere. 
There can't be a black hair, white hair. There can be nothing. That that red heifer has to be perfect. And if one is born in Texas, they send rabbis here to examine it every day. Every day they examine it. If one's ever born in Israel, the rabbis from all over Israel will be there looking it over every day. It will have special care. Oh, brother, there's nothing like They're waiting on a red heifer. And at the end of three years... If there's never been a white hair, if there's never been a blemish, after all the examination, oh, brother, it qualifies to be the sacrifice to take the sins of Israel away. I know somebody like that. His name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. For at the age of 30, he publicly announced to the world, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am God incarnate. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My Father and I are one. And for more than three years, he was examined every day. Every day, every priest, every rabbi, they were looking. They, If they could have found a flaw, if they could have found a white hair, if they could have found a weakness, he would have been disqualified. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. The Word of God tells us, he who knew no sin, he who knew no sin, became sin for you and I. Oh my goodness, the, the Bible tells us that he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He was holy. He was righteous. His public ministry proved it without a shadow of a doubt. If there had been one flaw, he had had to die for his own sins. But brother, and I want you to know he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He had to be perfect. And then, secondly, this red heifer, and you know that by the name, had to be a female. Wait, wait, preacher. Ever sacrifice in this Old Testament had to be male. Had to be a male sacrifice, a male lamb, a male goat. It had to be a male. There's no such thing as a female. Yes, it is. The red heifer is required that it's a female That's why it's a heifer. Where did that come from? Well, it's prophesied in Zechariah. You remember a man by the name of Judas Iscariot? He betrayed and sold Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a female slave. And guess what Zechariah tells us? Zechariah tells us those 30 pieces of silver will be thrown in the temple at the priest's feet. And the priest will take that 30 pieces of silver and buy a potter's field to bury the dead from that 30 pieces of silver. Had to be a female. But not only did it have to be a female, 
He can never have a yoke on his back. You see, when you put a yoke on a cow, it's in bondage. It has to move where you tell it to move. But see, Jesus, he was different. He was fully God if he were not man at all. And he was fully man if he were not God at all. You had two distinct natures. A divine nature and a human nature fused into one personality. He was God with us in human flesh. He was a divine incarnate son of God. In the beginning was the Lagos and the Lagos was with God. And the Lagos was God. And the word became flesh and walked among men. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten son of God. There's never been anybody like him. And what I want you to understand, he was never a servant of the flesh. He was never in bondage to the world. He was never in bondage to his appetites, his spiritual, uh, excuse me, his physical appetites. He dominated by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But you and I, when we are born into this world, we're in bondage. You, You know what the Bible says? How many of y'all ever had kids? Raise them up. Hmm? You, you know what the Bible tells you about your child when it was born? It come out of your mother's womb lying. Huh? I remember the first time my son lied to me. He wasn't a week old. And he lied big time. I went that morning to the hospital and picked my wife up. We got to the house. I held that little old boy in my arms because I had two daughters and I'd been waiting on this little boy. And I had that little boy. I walked with him all day and I took him to his mother and got him and walked with him and handled him and held him all day long. And finally night time came and, and, and I took him and laid him down in his little bed that mama had prepared. And then I got into bed with my wife and crawled up next to her just to hold her close and let her know I love her. I don't know what happened. I heard it. And I jumped out of bed. I said, something's wrong. My child, something's wrong. Somebody's hurt him or something's happened. And I went running in there and I picked that little old boy up and I, he was screaming his head off and I put him on my shoulder and I said, what's wrong? He, um, he lied to me. Wasn't nothing wrong. He wanted daddy to hold him. The point I'm making, and all of you know it, you don't have to teach your children to lie. Huh? Now, it comes natural. You know why? Because we're born with a sinful nature that's a servant of the fleshly appetites and of the world. But you see, this sacrifice can never be in bondage. Never. He lived a victorious life. He won the victory. I wish I had more time here tonight, but I don't. This sacrifice was the only 
sacrifice that had to be sacrificed outside the gates of Jerusalem, outside the walls. If you go to the eastern gate, and if you could go through it, it you can't, it's sealed. But if you would go through the eastern gate, there's the Kidron Valley. And directly in front of you is the Mount of Olives. And they would take that red heifer, take it out the eastern gate, cross the Kidron. Not to the top, just partially the way up. Outside the walls of Jerusalem. And they would sacrifice the red heifer. Jesus, when he was condemned in Jerusalem to die, they took him outside the gates, outside the walls, and placed him on a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary. It's just right out. If you go out to, if you could go out the eastern gate, it's just right there. You see where, where the, the heifer was sacrificed was called a, a place of purification. I'm going to share something with you tonight. And I know what we mean when we say it. And I say it. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let's be glad and rejoice in it. We all say that. Right? But. If you go to that scripture and read the three previous scriptures, it's talking about the death, the burial, and resurrection. And then God says, this, this, this is the day the Lord has made that we rejoice in that day. Everything we have in this life is because of what he did on that cross. That's the day I rejoice in. That's the work I praise. That's the glory of God right there on that cross. It is not today. It's that day. And that's what I want you to understand today. There's never been a sacrifice like Jesus Christ. He bore our sins in his own body. I've said this many times people get confused when I say it, but it's the truth. Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. And when I say beaten, he was beaten by professional soldiers. His beard was plucked out. He was cursed, mocked, made fun of. Hung on a cross and stripped naked, humiliated before the world. Rejected by the world. When they hollered, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. For the world hated him. And the people he came to seek and to save rejected him. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The curse that should have fell on earth fell on him. And then his father 
turned his back and walked away. Rejected by God and rejected by man. And everything he got, he deserved. He deserved everything. Because on that cross, he was me. He took my place. He was you. That's what we deserve. But he paid our debt. And everything that was against us, he nailed it to the cross and took it out of the way. Unless the red heifer had to be totally consumed by fire. Nothing left but ashes. Nothing. And they took those ashes, as I mentioned earlier, mixed them with spring, pure spring water. Combined them with cedar and hyssop and a scarlet thread. And they were referred to as the water of purification. You know what we've discovered? If you take that same thing, it works as an antiseptic. It's it's an antibacterial agent. In, In other words, it not only cleansed, it purified. It healed. It had a healing aspect about it. You know what Malachi tells us? That when the son of righteousness comes, he will come with healing in his wings. Oh, brother, when we are born again, that moment when we give our life and our heart and make him the Lord of our lives and are born again, at that moment, brother, I want you to know, he not only saves us, he heals us. He heals us spiritually. He heals us emotionally. He heals us sometimes even physically. There is healing in the Savior. And then lastly, the scripture tells us that this sacrifice will have universal effect. On the whole world. There's a verse that I love. It's in the Old Testament. I shout every time I read it. God's talking to Israel. And He says, I shall redeem thee. But not only thee. But others I shall gather. Oh my goodness. It's like in John 17. In high priestly prayer. And he's praying. He says I'm not only praying for my disciples. But for all of those. All of those out there. That shall believe. Because of their ministry. I'm one of them. I hope you are. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father.
We pray tonight that every person in this auditorium will leave here with a deeper, deeper understanding of all that Jesus did for us on the cross. For he's the only sacrifice that can take our sins away. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can heal. He's the only one that can comfort us and strengthen us. He's the only one that can lift us to spiritual heights. That we take wings like an eagle and fly. Oh God, I thank you. Thank you, Father. That you loved us so much you've sacrificed your son. And thank you, Jesus, for loving me and taking my place and paying my debt. For without you, we're nothing. There's no hope. Now help me live, help me to live my life in such a way That when I stand before you, you'll say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name.